Hello and welcome to the Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Johnson. The Local Leaders Podcast provides a platform for successful business owners to share their stories, their experiences, their advice, and their ideas in order to help our listeners achieve more success in their business and in their lives. Get ready. Another great show is coming up. Hey, good afternoon and welcome to another episode of the Local Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Johnson, and uh, super excited today to be able to bring Dan Simpson of Tazikis uh, in today. Tazikis has 93 locations, and uh, we're excited to, to kind of get Dan's take. So let me welcome you to the show, Dan. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Great to be here. Always excited to be among other leaders and people uh, looking to advance entrepreneurialism and, and leadership in business. Well, that is exactly, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what we're trying to do here with our, our podcast is to try to help provide um, ideas, strategies, concepts, uh, inspiration in some cases. Sometimes people just need a little inspiration to kind of get to that next step. And um, Tazikis has, has done great. You've grown the business and uh, we're excited about hearing your story. So with that, tell us a little bit about the business and, and we'll take it from there. Yeah, let's do it. So and the restaurant business is a is a wonderful place to be right now. It's never been more dynamic. And you know, on a basic level, to be honest, I never aspired to get into the restaurant industry, the restaurant business. I've been really a, a restless entrepreneur at heart. I've been involved in a variety of different businesses. I've always thought life is about people, and then started to understand there's some transferable skills that are that that are what drive business in some some case of any kind. Um, but I, I've always loved food. My grandfather was actually a chef. Um, and as I found my way through technology company into a restaurant company at a time where restaurants were starting to realize the importance of off-premise dining and, um, and the importance of using mobile apps and online order to help power that, right? So that was my foray and actually started as a, as a basically a consultant inside of with restaurants and, and developing entrepreneurs ended up becoming a franchisee of Tzatziki's and a few other brands of all, all the restaurants I worked with that love Tzatziki's the most end up joining with the founder, uh, Keith and Amy Richards um, out of Birmingham, Alabama, and have been with the, the, the company for the last five going on six years. But the brand is really all about really a fresh celebration of the Mediterranean diet. So we hear in the news year after year that the most popular uh, way to eat, the healthiest way to eat, um, and the best lifestyle is kind of defined by the Mediterranean lifestyle. And so this is this started from a trip back in 1997 um, and uh, meeting um, the Greek man and woman at the door at their little cafe in Greece, tasting the food, seeing the colorful food, uh, experiencing the hospitality is kind of like Greek hospitality meets Southern hospitality. And um, and on the way back from Greece, the, the thought was, this is what we want to do for the rest of our lives. And many people have bought into that dream. And so today, as you mentioned, there what started with one little cafe in Birmingham, Alabama. Today, it's become nearly 100 units, and we're poised to, to double that. So it's a great, a great space to be in. We're about, we manage about uh, 25 units that are company-owned, and that's really important. We can talk more about that. Um, for us to be able to lead and innovate and take risks for the benefit of all. And so then we partner with local uh, local owners and operators, our franchise partners across the country who are bringing this vision to their communities. 
That's, that's awesome. I love I love the way you talk about that and, and the, the fact that uh, you've got that core base of company-owned stores. Um, and, and I think you use the word lead and take risks for the benefit of all. And um, what a great thing to hear if I'm a franchisee, right? Well, it's I can tell you it's been really never more apparent than the last couple of years with the pandemic. And we've had a uh, an innovative business model that, as I mentioned earlier, we started to layer in technology, both for our operators, for our guests as well. And we've been moving down that road. And we were already seeing this trend moving away from dine-in to more to off-premise. Mm-hmm. People were buying convenience even more than quality and price for the first time really ever. And so as convenience became important, we realized we needed to modify our business model. Um, but that positioned us really well when the pandemic hit, we were prepared first with our company stores to drastically change our business model and our franchise partners followed. Um, and it was moving to an express menu of instead of a hundred items down to about 40 items and moving to a hundred percent takeout curbside for the first time ever, uh, delivery, um, and seeing our dine-in and catering business really change dramatically. Um, and so, yes, there's a lot of, a lot of key investments that we have to make and we need to make in order to keep moving forward in this very dynamic world. So uh, we are also fortunate. We have some really great tenured partners that are franchisees and we're able to, when we come up with any new LTO, limited time offer food item, we always test it first in one store and then in one company owned market. So we take that first risk, evaluate it. Does it even meet the threshold where it's ready for the next part, which is then partner with one of our franchisees to expand that test. And so, and so it's really, gotten a lot of testing before we we bring it out to the world um, as a as a full quarterly LTO. And there's great opportunities for us to both lead, take risks, but also partner with franchisees that want to be part of that process. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And like I said, I'm sure that's music to the ears of franchisees. And, um, you know, there's there's so many franchisees with all kinds of different systems out there that, um, you know, some some wish they had went in a different direction and, and others are just uh, thrilled to be part of the, the organization that they're with. And um, keeping them involved is, is a critical component of that. And it sounds like you guys are, are all in with these, with these partners. Yeah, I think it's, you know, like they say, you're only as good as your people. You're only as good as your partners. And we definitely have that attitude. Um, it's, it's, you know, a, a franchise organization is such an interesting dynamic uh, family. Um, and like all family, there are strengths and there's dysfunctions and they have to work through. Um, we found out obviously, you know, we, our, our founder, Keith is still leads our culinary R and D. He still, he still manages our flagship market in Birmingham and he's still very instrumental, but there's now a team of people that I brought on board that is helping to lead the future growth of the company. And together, you know, we report to a board of directors and we're helping to lead the company. Um, when you, you know, when you partner with a franchisee and the, you know, reason to go down that road is, is one part capital, right? You, you have to start with how much. How much money do you have on hand to keep growing units and investing? It's also uh, it also goes back to leadership, right? So you've got to think about your manpower plan. And one of the things that we found that I think is true of many businesses is that um, businesses are best operated when they're run by someone that lives in that town. Yeah, and and they and their you know their their kids go to those schools and their family goes to that church and they're they're invested in the community and they are a member of the community when they launch their business. And so sometimes it's a risk when big corporations try to manage everything from an ivory tower with a sense of perception that they have for every local community where that often gets lost. And so we found is our best model is whether 
even if it's a company-owned market, we find a local operating partner, someone that lives there. We actually make them an equity partner in that deal, um, or we partner with a franchisee. So us, it's sort of two ways to accomplish the same thing, which is someone that lives and loves that community and develops the restaurant as part of the community, right? So we're not just driving sales. We show up when there's a um, when there's a fire and someone loses their house with with free food to comfort them through that time, or when the kids are raising some money for their for their band or their football team, we show up with food. Um, and so we realize what a key part food can be in a community. Yeah, that that is a a critical piece. And as you guys have gotten so large now, are, are you pretty much all, all across the U.S.? I know that I know that you're up here toward North Carolina and, and South in the Carolinas. Uh, are you out, all the way out west yet? Yeah, we are. And I think this is a key point to mention first, like growth strategy is really important. You generally mm-hmm. want to grow in a with some density so you can get the benefit of critical mass for both marketing, for brand awareness, right? But also for supply chain. And when you start to get too far out or grow without any um, adjoining states or areas, you end up in trouble. Um, we've been very thoughtful about our growth for the most part. You always learn, you always have some lessons out there. But we've we have really good density in the southeast. That's where we are really the dominant kind of healthy Mediterranean brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are we have planted some uh, some new pioneer markets. So we go as far on the south southwest. It's it's Dallas um, and then Denver and even Boise. So we've got some some entrance out in those parts of the world. We are growing more rapidly into the Midwest right now. So we're as far as north as say like Cincinnati and parts of West Virginia. All the way over to uh, to Richmond, Virginia, as you mentioned, Raleigh, uh, some of those areas. So we're really excited. Based in the southeast, growing into the Midwest and a little bit west. Gotcha. Well, that's that's good to know, and especially for any of our listeners who are, um, you know, interested in looking at some new ideas or new concepts. Uh, Tzatziki is is should certainly be on their radar, and uh, I'm sure that on the website there's more information uh, for potential. Uh, partners who may want to get involved with you guys. So I'll, uh, and we'll have the website up on the uh, the video as well. So. Yeah, we're definitely uh, continue to, to find the right partners for us, right? Part of it is these are, these are marriages, not just, not just dating experience, the long-term partnerships. Um, And so sometimes we, we're always looking for the right fit and not just somebody to raise their hand. Um, and, and, and the pandemic actually has brought about some, some really wonderful partners that have uh, deep domain experience and, and get the fact that most communities have a pizza place and have a burger place. Um, they have a sandwich shop. And, but when they look around, they, don't, they truly don't find any place that is, that is both truly healthy and delicious. Um, and so a lot of either even bigger players are seeing this as a key, like healthy part of their portfolio that they're missing. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you have people, particularly with something like, you know, Pearl Harbor, 9-11 and pande- the recent pandemic, it wakes people up to what do I want to do with my life. Um, and so this is a wonderful uh, family-based model that is very scalable. We've had our profits breaking records with sales um, through the pandemic, and we're in a really good position to grow. Yeah, and and do you attribute those those growing and, and climbing profits primarily to your transition from you mentioned a hundred menu item and uh, scaling that down to about forty? Um, is is that the the real driver for for the growth? Yeah, there's definitely some some mixed results in there and mixed drivers too. It's very interesting. I mean, on a, on a more macro to micro perspective, 
you know, first of all, when you have about 90,000 restaurants that go out of business um, for good, um, very sad and, and nothing that any of us rejoice in. But the upside of that is there's all these displaced, millions of displaced guests looking for their next favorite restaurant. Mm-hmm. And so we, we made our number one priority last year to try to, you know, get our brand in front of these guests looking for their next favorite restaurant and to capture some of those displaced customers that happened due to COVID. Um, and so that's part of what drove top line sales. Um, that and, you know, this little innovation called third party delivery, while it might be 70 to 80 percent of all restaurant sales in Asia, which is true and remarkable, by the way. Oh, wow. And in America, it was five percent or around five percent before the pandemic. So you could see the early signs. If you gave it another five or 10 years, this would be a significant part of our industry. But it was at a slow pace. Right. The diffusion of that innovation was going to take some time. Yep. Um, the pandemic accelerated that. And so suddenly it became 30%, 40%, 50% of a lot of restaurants business. So today for us, it's between 15 and 30%, depending on the market. That put us in front of a lot of new guests that we had, that had never tried Tzatziki's before. So it's been a customer acquisition strategy for us. And once the economics worked out, um, that has helped as well. So a lot of it's been top line growth, I'll tell you, combinations of of supply chain challenges that that are actually peaking now uh mixed with labor costs going higher and we're investing in our people right now um those prime costs going up make those top line sales a little less profitable in fact so we've had to yes look very uh carefully at well how do we deliver the same guest experience the same amazing food while investing in our staff um and still maintaining profits so we've we've had to roll up our sleeves and be really creative and find smart ways to do this so we're not out of the woods yet but we're really excited with the progress we've made so far well that that is uh definitely true and and you know everyone in industry has been facing the um the the staff shortage or the staff shortage lack of staff food shortages and and, uh, prime cost increase um i know you guys have you know we talked about it briefly earlier um any, you know, you were brainstorming just recently on ideas and things to kind of try to help you get around some of these challenges. Anything new or on the horizon that uh, you guys came up with that you can share? Yeah, I, I think that there's, I think everything starts as far as staffing, right? I think it starts not with ideation, but start by talking to your staff, right? And mm-hmm. understanding who they are um, and understanding what their current and future needs are. Because you can, you can you know, drive around not just restaurants, but retail, whether it's Amazon or Target or wherever, and you can see a whole list of all these benefits. And it can be overwhelming to say, well, I, either I can't afford all of those, offering all those benefits or that pay, or I don't know where to start. And so the place to start is ask your, your staff directly. And when we asked our staff, um, they told us, and it was different groups of staff had different needs. Some of our older staff said, we're, we came for a job, but we want to stay for a career. But if you can make the investment into a retirement plan, like a 401k program, that would really make us feel better and help us stay. Mm-hmm. Some of the younger staff are more familiar with what I call like the Uber effect, right? Where you can pull out your phone, apply for a job, get screened and approved within 25 minutes, be working that same day, get paid that same day get reviews throughout the day with affirmation, and then make your own schedule. Now try to superimpose that on top of a restaurant. We just weren't built for that, right? Um, And so, but there are some invitations in there to say, okay, well, 
<laughs> what we can do is there are there are some clever new technologies where you can make pay available to your staff as soon as the same day. There's yeah. like daily pay programs that are out there that we're um, we're evolving towards. Um, and then sometimes it was also just like we we have some of our staff that are immigrants and refugees that they're, they're first generation Americans or maybe second generation Americans, and and they had every reason to stay with us except for language was a barrier. They couldn't move up because maybe their language wasn't uh, wasn't their English wasn't strong enough. So we've invested into a great program called NGen that allows you can take pretty much any language and learn go from any language to English, um, and. So empowering our staff based on their specific needs and trying to break the right solution in the right staff hand. So that's the first thing, just retention. How do we just keep the great people that we've already invested training into? They know the recipes, they know the culture. That's always, that's gotta be our first priority. Um, you gotta look in the mirror sometimes too. I think there is a little bit of a reckoning in the industry that is to realize that uh, for the longest time, maybe forever, we've always had the leverage. And not that anyone was trying to take advantage of staff. We loved our staff, we invest in our staff. But for the first time, the labor market has the upper hand, has the leverage to go work lots of places. Yeah. And so we're having to slow down and do some soul searching and say, how do we really prioritize our staff? Sometimes it's as simple as when you're interviewing someone, instead of saying, this is the shift I have available, take it or leave it, it's, Tell me about your life. Oh, you have a four-year-old daughter. Okay, you need to drop her off at this time and pick her up at this time. Yeah. Okay, tell me more about her and what else matters in your life. And then find a win-win that works with what we need on, on our schedule and what works in their actual life. Um, so it's making us more human. It's helping us pay attention with better solutions. I mean, I think the other thing too is just investing in leaders, right? So one of our goals for next year is we recognize we've got all these managers and assistant managers, we've got shift leaders, we've even got area supervisors. And we realize when you have the amount of churn that most restaurants do, and we are much better than the industry average, um, you, you have to keep leveling up your investment in them, the training in them. And we identified that they might know everything about the recipes and our technology and all that, but, but, but there's gaps in their training. So next year, we're gonna invest in some additional, um, additional levels of training that they've asked for to help them because now suddenly they're in the HR business and they're in the technology business as well as the food business, right? They're, we're asking them to do a lot of things. So for us to invest in them, more training helps them feel equipped to do their job. So those are just some examples um, that I think apply even across uh, beyond restaurants. Well, that's that was a, um, a whole a wealth of information. So thank you for sharing that and um, gave me some things to, to think about as you were speaking that, um, you know, who would have, well, you guys obviously thought of it, but I, I had never thought of language being a, you know, something that would, would even be on the table to, to talk about here. But obviously with so many immigrants, you know, in this country, uh, that's a big labor pool. And if you can accommodate them and, and help help develop them uh, more for speaking English, then um, all the better for their life, uh, you know, and, and happiness across not only work, but in their home life as well. That's exactly, that's right. And there's other challenges that are, in some ways harder to solve like childcare. One of the barriers for, for the, some of the female workforce coming back um, to their previous jobs or into new jobs is someone to watch their kids. And that's a real, that's a, that's a pretty systemic problem that is not easy to solve. Um, but again, it starts by really asking questions and listening and making sure we're solving the right problems and making the right investments um, across the board. Um, so that's, that's key. 
Yeah, it's uh, it, you know, it's it's something when you first when you, when you open up those doors and you open your ears up and your hearts up to the people that you're working with, um, you know, what great feedback I'm sure you guys have gotten, and the fact that you're open to it and accepting it and and acting on it is um, you know, is awesome. So thank you for that. I'm sure from them, uh, as well as for all our other listeners, uh, make sure that we're talking to our people and um, understanding what it is that they they need. Um, you know, that'll really help differentiate us in the, in the marketplace as, as we as restaurant owners are looking for uh, to fill uh, staffing vacancies as well. And, and gosh, you're growing like crazy. So, you know, you're popping up in new stores and uh, bringing on new franchisees and you need people. So congratulations on all you're doing. Well, thanks. Yeah, that, that becomes the other interesting challenge for so many of us is that when the dynamics of the restaurant industry have changed, which is based on consumer demand changing, right? Mm-hmm. And like I said, we are now in the in the omni-channel business. We don't we don't have the luxury of one channel, which would be dine-in or even dine-in and take out two channels. Now we're in five, six, seven, eight, nine different channels to generate the same or higher levels of sales. And so it's putting a lot of pressure on our operations. And we need, in some cases, you can invest in training, sometimes investing in new technology to simplify that. There's, there's great technologies like Cubo that, aggregates all the third-party delivery orders into your systems directly. So there's no tablets to be manually um, addressing, interacting with, you know, sometimes it's that um, sometimes it's reevaluating your actual physical plant and looking around a, a building that was really designed for 80% dine-in that today is 35 or 40% dine-in. And what doesn't work anymore? What got broken when you move away from paper menus? Well, how do you support that guest user experience when when that old device no longer works in the current world. And it's, and it's not just a loss, it's an opportunity to rethink things that were sacred cows before. And now we have a new opportunity to, to find even better ways to make a better guest experience. So I think net net, there's so many uh, positives that are available to us now if we're courageous enough to, to, to collaborate and, and make some bold decisions. You know, it's it's just amazing how how much the industry changed and, and grew, um, you know, in terms of, of having to take its next step forward. Like you had said earlier, it, it almost was like it the, the industry was in the Stone Age um, and then the uh, pandemic hit and everything changed. I mean, you you really just had to kind of reach in and reevaluate everything that you're doing. And uh, of course, you mentioned in in. Uh, indoor dining uh, or in-house dining has has declined, and I'm guessing you know that may drive um, a new footprint for your your buildings in the future, if if not already. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it sure is. Um, from a from a architectural design and real estate perspective, this is mm-hmm. this is pushing us in new directions. Um, and there's some really there's some upsides to these new directions, as I mentioned earlier. In fact, before the pandemic. We were already watching this trend towards off-premise. We went from our traditional 3,000 square foot model um, to a 2,000, a little over 2,000 square feet. We were already identifying that the kitchen couldn't get smaller because we're doing the same volume, but the dining room could afford to be smaller. Well, that helps if you want to get the restaurant business, your your now cost of entry, your build-out costs are less, your debt service can be less. That's a win. Um, And so we, we are moving that direction. Um, we, during the, the pandemic, we also, uh, piloted with essentially a, a virtual kind of a ghost kitchen, a, a, a mm-hmm. spinoff of our own concept. We could execute in our own kitchens. And that's, that's a new innovation for all of us to think differently about maximizing the capacity of our kitchens. We also spun off a 
um, and another kind of a street food version of the brand that could operate in about a thousand square feet. So we're still um, we're still navigating through all of these potentials, but we're for sure entering next year with a 3,000, a 2,000, and a 1,000 square foot flexible options. And we are uh, soon will be able to announce a um, a partnership, a really exciting partnership uh, for a delivery only kitchen um, that will be happening next year as well. So there's a lot of a lot of opportunities, and I would say zoom back and if you look at a market that maybe says we could hold you know 10 restaurants. In the past, we'd be thinking about 10, 3,000 square foot restaurants, and we knew what that capital outlay would be. Mm -hmm. Now we think more like manufacturing and logistics to say, well, you're going to produce this much amount of food, but it needs to be delivered, some delivered in the dining room, some delivered just outside on curbside, some delivered all the way to a a business, maybe that's catering, some delivered all the way to someone's home. And we can now right size the shape of of our containers or our restaurants, our kitchens, essentially, to fit that last mile efficiency. So it's giving us, we can spend a lot less money to feed the same amount of people by rearranging our real estate and our, and our approach to, our, to the right kitchen in the right place. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And, and as you said, it's a real opportunity since the pandemic to rethink your business and, and look for those um, new ideas and concepts out there like the virtual kitchens and um, you know, look, look for you know, making your own online brand uh, that's delivery only and um, lots of people can do that. I mean, there's, there's spare capacity uh, in a lot of kitchens, assuming you can find people. Um, so you just got to go out there and partner with the right folks and, and make sure that you make it happen. And, and you guys have the luxury of, of uh, having a lot of production capability already throughout your footprint. So uh, great stuff, amazing things to, to look at and think about. And, and I want to backtrack to something we mentioned, I mentioned before we got on the podcast and um, and it came up briefly earlier, but um, I want to ask you about the, this whole franchise versus company-owned uh, piece. Um, we have a lot of listeners who, um, you know, maybe are on the verge of getting to the point to where they're starting to think about how do I want to grow going forward. Um, so, any advice or words of wisdom that that you might could share in regards to making that decision of, you know, what's the best route, company versus franchise, or a mix of those. Yeah, it is. It is such an important um, question. It often gets um, made accidentally by a lot of people when they look back on their histories and say, "How did we get here? Was that really an intentional choice, or that was a bit what was available to us in that moment?" So sometimes it's just a choice of um, of you know being opportunistic. Um, I think there's a couple of considerations. I mean, from the restaurant side, I think the first thing is to look at the complexity of your model, and the more complex it is. Um, like we have, we are pretty much a scratch made uh, kitchen model and, um, there's, there's a fair amount of complexity to it that we've been working to simplify over time, but the more, the more complex, like if you've got a, you know, a whole hog barbecue, that is a lot of tradition and has a lot of, uh, very specific ways, uh, of executing. Um, I, I think understanding the complexity that leads to control, how much control do you really need to have to maintain the quality of your, your product? And I think it, it should start with understanding the complexity, understanding where your standards are. And if you, if you are um, not convinced that you can train someone else or that your systems are good enough to provide the, 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 the checklist towards success for someone else to learn and execute it at the same level you can, then you shouldn't get into the franchise business just as a starting point. You really need to maintain the probably better 
uh, in the long run to grow at a slower pace and have control over the people that you hire and that you can hold accountable. Um, because the truth is the moment that you move into the franchise world, you move out of control and you move into influence, right? You can, you can maintain control over standards, but as far as the relationship, that is their business and that is their employees and it's their community to operate in. And, um, and so there has to be a high level. There has to be a, an executable amount of complexity. There has to be a confidence that standards can be met. And then there has to be trust in, in the partnership, right? And that's, mm -hmm. you know, there's got to be, uh, that's usually why there are standards put in place when you're evaluating franchisees. Like, do they have the, the experience you're looking for? Well, and if, if you're looking for just a, maybe a juice bar with a single unit operator, the experience doesn't need to be that deep. But if you're truly looking for someone that's going to develop a market of 10 units or five or 10 units, you want them to have not just restaurant experience, but multi-unit operator restaurant experience. You ideally want to have them to have some real estate understanding and possibly experience there. There's some things that make people successful at a higher level that are not necessarily uh, not necessary to just open a restaurant. Um, so I think finding the right partner there is um, becomes key because you're not, again, you're not, it's not your construction team. Um, and your operators making it happen. You have to relinquish that control to uh, to others. So I think that's a big part of it. And then there's, there, like I mentioned earlier, there's just economics, right? If you start with a war chest and you can go and the time, the time to go uh, hire your staff and find the locations and own the restaurants, it's obviously a more profitable model to stay in a company-owned um, business. However, usually it, it, you can grow a lot faster through a franchise model. And so you make a trade-off of, I'll accept a royalty and with the right partner uh, over, um, over, you know, needing all of the capital intensivity that is required to, to go your own way. You know, so there's, there's a lot of trade-offs. And I think we kind of look through that rubric based on your stage of growth. You know, we went from uh, the first three or four units were developed, and then we were fortunate enough to meet some of the, um, some of the partners with Fresh Hospitality that, mm -hmm. um, that helped us mature as a brand and then introduced us to at first it was licensing it wasn't really a true franchise model mm -hmm. and so you're uh these are you know uh, uh friends of friends of the family so to speak and they were some of our early partners and then we converted that to a franchise model to be able to keep scaling the company so and, and i think it's important to know too there's there's a lot to be said like sometimes bigger is not always better it is it is better to have you know one really successful restaurant than three struggling ones. Yeah. So, so size and scale is, is only as good as the quality and the profitability of the units. So we try to focus on, on a lot on unit economics more than unit growth. And we try to go at a good pace to make sure we can keep making the adjustments so everyone is success, successful. Well, I think that I think that makes the most sense. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot of, I know there's a lot of great advice in there and things that, that maybe I haven't even contemplated in the past. Uh, that you got to look at, but I, I love the part about the complexity of the, uh, you know, the concept. Um, so I'm sitting here thinking, okay, if I'm a, if I have a control freak type uh, operator yeah, right. <laughs> who's got a highly complex menu to try to pull off, maybe franchising would would be the uh, second choice on on that list. That's right. That would be the third of two choices. Yeah, yeah. Not the one you want. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because like you said, it's uh, you know you're trading off and. Uh, and capital, of course, is probably a big driver for many many of our listeners out there as well. If uh, you have the capital to do it yourself, then uh, you know, and you want to play the play for the long term. That's that's a great way to go. You want to get out there fast. 
uh, and hit it hot and heavy, then, then franchising is a is a great a, a great thing to look at. And you mentioned licensing, and in fact, that's something that we hadn't really talked about a lot in the past, but I've heard it recently. Uh, that is another good good idea and a good concept for those that, that are kind of getting your feet wet heading towards right. franchising. That's right. That's right. Because there is a lot to move completely into a franchise model and whether it's whether it's maintaining your FDD and all of the appropriate audits for those disclosures and just the process that you have, there's there's more legality that you have to mind when you're working through the process of vetting um, and and all that. And I you know, also think too, it's like, I, I would say that, you know, when you partner with franchisees, you there's a little double-edged sword here. One hand that you you want them and need them to be entrepreneurs. You're cheering on. We are celebrating entrepreneurs when we believe in the franchise model. They are local owners of a business. And um, and they're really good at being turning something uh, out of out of nothing. And they're really good at being mavericks and they're good at thinking for themselves and really good at at sorting through challenges. Well, that that is exactly what you want and exactly what we're celebrating. And as you mature as a brand, which we're which we're sort of starting to do in our life cycle, right? You establish more standards, becomes less less ideas and innovations, and more and more best practices and standards that are proven. And you want to provide the guests with a consistent brand promise uh, follow through, right? You want the guests to be able to experience exactly what they're expecting anytime they go to to a tzatziki's. And so that requires us to be more uniformed and less maverick, right? And so that very thing that got us here starts to work against you a little bit if you want to mature as a brand and some of that franchisee spirit, um, which I which I have and and love, um, has to be matured, has to grow up and settle into the greater virtue here is is uniformity, standardization, and and so we can and why not not so we can obey corporate as much as it is so we can deliver on our promise to the guest. That's really the reason. And, and you're, you're exactly right. What, get, what got you there? What got you to the table? Isn't necessarily what's going to keep you there. Right. And um, so the, you know, the challenge then becomes is, you know, how do you influence, um, you know, these traditionally maverick franchisees uh, and, and get them bought in. And, and I'm assuming it's a lot of communication and, um, you know, a lot of a lot of talking and uh, a lot of, uh, of of selling that that fact that you want to deliver that consistent brand promise uh, to your to your customers. So tough yeah, challenge. There, there, there's no silver bullet with this, but you're right. It's a multi-tiered communication strategy, and it's for us. It starts, you know, one at least once a year. Get everybody together. You can call it a conference if you want, but it's. It is really about us, us you know, living out our brand, first brand value of connection, really uh, connecting with these people as human beings, having some fun, having some open, candid conversations. So we're having our, a, a conference coming up in May of next year. Uh, this will be a franchise-only conference, just the owners, uh, the franchisees, and our executive team to get together and, and really have some unfiltered conversations. Then, be, then after that, it's you know at least quarterly market visits. Um, and that are at, in addition to that, we, I send out an, an email every single period. So 13 uh, communications, sometimes there are forums, which are a webinar uh, environment, like you're experiencing on YouTube right now. Mm-hmm. And in other cases, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an email or a letter essentially, but we're, it's, it's unfiltered. It's at a senior uh, you know, leadership level. It's not for every manager. It's not for every employee in Tzatziki's. 
and we are giving them advanced heads up or asking them for advanced feedback on key topics. You know, and then we on the operations level, there's there's a weekly we call it TAS weekly that goes out, and that's to all the store operators and the marketing people. And then we have a text platform that can send out as needed, just in time messages when there's an alert that has to go out. So it's building that right structure of communication for the right audience with the right message, and then all along recognizing that there's a lot of personalities and there's a lot of things that are going to surprise you and go wrong, and it all works ultimately because not just communication, but communication founded in trust. Um, I have to be able to earn their trust mm-hmm. that they, that they, when I, when I'm speaking, I'm speaking authentically and transparently. Um, um, they have to earn uh, our trust that likewise they're doing their part. And then when we leave their market, they're going to follow through with what they say that we're, that we're all in it for the right reasons and all trying to make sure everybody wins. And so great communication followed by trust. And I'll tell you, we've had to, we've had to change our communication strategy many times because we realize there's no perfect way, but is it working is the real question. Well, is it what, and if it's not working, what, what would work better and constantly be open to that question. Yeah. I'll tell you what, it, it, you've really come a long way. You know, the old cigarette commercial, you come a long way, baby, from that first single unit yes. <laughs> to, to this big, you know, corporate entity that you've, you've kind of had to evolve and develop into over the years. So what a great story. Congratulations um, to, to all of you and your team on, on the success that you've had and the ability to be able to grow the business and uh, to, to think strategically and, and get out in front of a lot of these challenges and, um, and you know, be in a position to succeed. And uh, I think that's all you can ask for, you know, as a business is to put yourself in a position to win, just like the coaches say. That's that's exactly exactly. When I first came to Tzatziki's, one of the first things I did is went on a, a a tour to meet all the franchisees, and and one of my key questions was, you know, what was your dream when you signed up for this? What were you hoping would happen? What were you aspiring towards? And then the harder question was, did it come true or did it not come true? If it did, we're celebrating, right? It's time for champagne and oysters. If it didn't, there's probably some frustrations, and when they we had to air out some grievances of things that were promised in the past that didn't happen or or expectations that weren't met and make space for people's frustrations and not just their celebrations um, and try to, to maintain candor, a space for where we can understand that it's not going to go perfect. Um, and like I said, celebrate the, the high moments, um, work together through the difficult moments. Yeah, well, I think that's uh, great advice. I was going to ask you for a couple of pearls of wisdom, but I think you just gave them to me. Um, and, you know, just very insightful information that you shared, you know, about about the business and about the relationship that uh, Tzatziki's has with its with its partners, its franchisees. And, you know, if you're out there and you're hearing about Tzatziki's for the first time, uh, I think it'd be great for you to put that on your radar and maybe take a look at uh, what Dan and his team have been doing um, and certainly reach out if uh, there's an interest and uh, hopefully you guys can make a connection. Well, thanks so much. Always great to connect with great people um, around the holidays. We've made it through two challenging years. Um, I think the best is yet to come. So appreciate the time to connect. Well, we we appreciate you being on the show today. And um, uh, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us and, and to share your ideas and your your thoughts and, and your, the story behind Tzatziki's and all that you guys are doing. I've learned a lot. I'm sure our audience has as well. And, and we greatly appreciate it. So thank you, Dan. Thank you.
And for all our other listeners out there, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Local Leaders Podcast. Uh, I'm Jeff Johnson, your host, and we look forward to seeing you on our next show. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Local Leaders Podcast. You can find us at www.jeffzpodcast.com or jeffzjohnson.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to come back every Monday and Wednesday for our next episode.